He knows our future. And He knows that when we come to Him in spirit and in truth and we confess our sins before Him, He will be faithful and just to forgive those. So I would just encourage you tonight, if you need to be at the throne of mercy, come. If you want to be at that throne of grace, come.
Lord, we want to know you more. You're both the gift and the giver. It's you that we seek tonight. Wonder at the man. 
thank you so much tonight. Lord, we declare that you reign. Lord, if there's areas in our lives where we have not yielded to you, Lord, show those things to us. Lord, you gave us everything that you had of you. Lord, you deserve nothing less from us. We love you so much. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can spend with you. That we can come together in one body. that you bless this time that our hearts and our minds would be open in front of you Lord as we sit at your feet that our ears would hear your word and that we would understand the things that you have for us Lord that your Holy Spirit would speak through our brothers he brings a message tonight and Lord that your word would find good soil in our hearts we ask this in Jesus precious name Good evening, everyone. It's working? Excellent. How's everybody doing? I've got a question for you. It's not like that. How many have ever heard the term children of God? Good. That's good. Oh, me too. Yeah. How many like being the children of God? Hmm. Interesting. I got an interesting passage to read to you, real quick. Matthew 5, 44 and 45. It's a little different. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Why should I do that? Well, he tells you in the next verse. That's true. Matthew 45, 45 that ye may be the children of your father. Never really noticed that before. That kind of slaps me right in the teeth. I don't know about you, but kind of slaps me in the teeth. That you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So who are we to treat anybody, any way, but the way he treats them? Mm. What's that got to do with what I'm about to do, which is lead in prayer? Well, let me go back to verse 44. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Anybody ever make you angry when they did something? to you or said something to you or insinuated something to you or smashed you in the teeth I don't know <laughs> I know what most of you not me but most of you got down on your knees immediately and prayed for them <laughs> right, sure we all did <laughs> sorry 
gee, I think that's what he's saying we should be doing. <laughs> I don't know. I never really looked at this verse. kind of hit me when I read it, looking for what he wanted me to bring tonight. It's a little different than normally what I think of when I think of prayer. <laughs> now, if he wants us to do that, what does he want us to do for the ones that treat us good? Anybody got an idea? Come on. Say it. Same thing. Yeah, pray. Somebody said pray. That's exactly right. Pray for them. And I know there's a lot of people that, in here that pray for each other. Everybody here has needs. Everybody here has situations. Everybody here has crisis. And sometimes tension. Sometimes stress. We're still in the flesh. And we need each other's prayers. We need prayers for the ministry. We need prayers for each of us individually and corporately. That's what he wants. Let's go to pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you for leading us. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for letting us talk to you. We thank you for talking to us. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the healing you've given us. The physical healing, the mental healing, the spiritual healing. We thank you for your promises to continue to be with us and never leave us. We thank you for brothers and sisters in your body. And that we as one are bonded together. We thank you for that. We ask you to teach us how to deal with one another. How to pray for one another. How to help one another. How to be a family. How to be strong. How to care. How to take care of ourselves. And also take care of others. With you giving us the strength. For you giving us what to say, what to do, and when to do it. And help each one of us to be looking to you for the answers, not on a weekly basis, not even on a daily basis, but on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Help us to truly walk with you, hand-in-hand, hand, minds melded together. Help us to truly be your body here. Work through us. Guide us, lead us, direct us in what you want us to say, where you want us to go, and what you want us to do. And we will give you the honor and the glory for it all. In your precious name, amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Some of the things the Lord has been instilling on my heart this week, one of the the main thing is to, to be reminded to, to look around. You know, sometimes I get caught up in my, my own world and get caught up in my own things and forget that he's, he's in control. Not only is he in control, but he's ready to show me where he's blessing me and all the great things he has in store for me. So I've been really opening up my eyes to that this week. And I just pray for you as well that uh, 
you would open your eyes up so you can see the beauty around you as well. Amen? Yes. All right, now is the time that we invite our brother Seku to come and break the bread of life for us. And of course, you know, I have a question for you. No, 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 don't, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> okay, my question is, when is fishing not a good way to relax? When you're the worm. <laughs> you know, and just as I was sitting over there, I thought I should turn this on, huh? There we go. You might want to check the volume level on that side because this sounds real loud. <laughs> it sounds like this. away. Um, what is this? Scrap paper. Looks like your notes for tonight. Today we're going to be preaching on two three eight one three seven TM exclamation point. I will need as much grace as I possibly can because I have no idea what that means. Huh? Yeah. Um, well, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And uh, it, it is a little awkward in some sense trying to get used to all this and the new way that we're doing things. And I guarantee you what's in my ear up here is a lot louder than what's going on out here. And so it's adjusting. Um, but it's also um, a little difficult because here we are at the end of yet another week. And um, what I'm about to talk about which is being pleasing to God, I guarantee you at least 80% of us have went through a week where we feel like we are anything but pleasing to God. And so it's great when we talk about the blood of Jesus covers us from sin and all these different wonderful things that God has done towards us. But when we start talking about being pleasing to God, now we start getting a little nervous because we go through our little mental Rolodex and think, there's a lot of unpleasing ways, in my opinion, that I have before God. So before you write tonight off and say that doesn't apply to me, I would hope and pray that you at least listen um, and weigh the words carefully and then to turn around and seek God about it. And you might find that we get a little too overworked up about things that um, is not really in our power to do something about. And I'll explain that in just a second. So if you're in Matthew, the third chapter, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. If you're there, say amen. amen. Would you all stand in honor of reading God's word? The word of God reads, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, you need to be I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This 
is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word, we pray that it is your spirit that leads us and guides us and helps us to hear, understand, be able to um, take a hold of, practice, and even be able to share it with others, that which you impart into us. And we thank you for your word and for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the first thought could be, well, that's not fair, because you're reading about Jesus, and there's another scripture in John 8, Jesus says, I, I, the Father is with me because I always do the things that please the Father. And so when we look at the scale of us and Jesus, it's really an unfair scale. It's an unbalanced scale, and it's not balanced towards our side. It's very, it's very, we're, we're, we're found lacking. <laughs> Um, but what you see in this is a pattern which each and every one of us follow. First and foremost, when Jesus came to John, John tried to change the script. He tried to change things around and say, why are you coming to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, we need to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, we need to do it like it's written. We need to do what God said to do. And this is God in the flesh speaking to John, who's the forerunner. And God in the flesh says, we need to do it exactly the way that it was set out to do. And John relented and said, okay, well, I will baptize you then. Jesus didn't change the plan. Even though he could have said, yeah, I think we can. Jesus did not change the plan. He followed the word that was set out for him. And even to the chagrin of John, he had to correct some of the people around him and says, it needs to be this way. So first and foremost, we see Jesus's obedience to the word <coughs> that set up the back half of this story, which is as soon as he was obedient, as soon as he comes out of the water, here is the very visible evidence of the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Very visible. Not only that, because even the, the disciples and even John said that they had saw it. Not only that, but you also have the voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That wasn't a private message. That was a public declaration that because of who Jesus was and how he carried himself, God was well pleased in Jesus. The word pleasing is eudikeo, which is to think well of, that is to approve and act, specifically to approbate, which also means to approve a person or thing. In other words, God thought well of Jesus. When we, thought, when we talk about being pleasing to God, it is God thinking well about us. You say, well, God, you know, looks upon me and, and he's with me. And there is a difference, even though we may not look at it as that. But honestly, at the end of the day, if I took a survey and said, would you rather God looks at you or God looks at you favorably or well-pleasing, which would you pick? Which would you pick? So we have a pattern to follow from which Jesus demonstrated. Turn, if you will, to John <coughs> chapter 4. 
verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well, but in this, uh, there is a revelation. You know, it's, it's fascinating, and I, I, sh I would love to preach on this, but some of us really need to pay attention to our words because if you look at all the people that Jesus says, great faith, it's because of something they said. It's because of something that this woman said that Jesus gave her a revelation. He says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, true worshipers, not the ones that are pious in their own activity, in their own ability, in their own self-righteousness, but the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Kind of reminds you of, you know I'm going to say it, Kind of reminds you of Genesis chapter 3, where here is God looking for and seeking the Adam he created. But now here it is saying that the Father is seeking true worshipers. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now what does this have to do with God uh, looking at you favorably? Well, first and foremost, worship is not just singing, not just, you know, we sing the slow songs and we call that worship and we sing the fast songs and we call that praise. Worship is a lifestyle. It's an attitude that here is my father and wherever it is, everything that I do is for his glory. Everything that I do is for his recognition. Whatever I say is to glorify the Father. Whatever I do is to glorify the Father, whether it's me singing or me writing a check, whether it's me going out and serving in the street or whether it's me raising my children. At the end of the day, everything that I do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ unto the Father is an act of worship. And the word worship, uh, both in Hebrew and in Greek, more so is connotating somebody who either bends the knee or lays flat out in front of the one that they are blessing. In other words, worship is about vulnerability. Worship is about vulnerability. Let's go back to a realm that we understand for just a second. When we talk about praise and worship and singing, how don't raise your hand. How many times... Have you seen people raise their hands while worshiping? And then the Holy Spirit will say, well, you should raise your hands. Not a person, but the Holy Spirit says you should raise your hand. Or your heart is like, I understand what raising my hands is a form of surrender. And so I should do that. But then everybody around here is going to look at me like I am nuts. Like I got three heads and I'm just going to stand out like a sore thumb. So when God says, Show me worship. We go, I'll sing it. I'll say it. But in order for me to step out and do something that seems silly, that puts me in a place of vulnerability, I don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. Can you imagine David praising God because he did it right the second time? The first time he got his hand, he got more than his hand slapped. He got one of his aides killed. And he ended up forsaking the Ark of the Covenant and, and, and did the whole thing wrong. And then he went and pouted, left the thing in some wine press. 
And then he got his act together and then went back for it. And when he went right and he was doing right before God and he realized that he got everything together, he worshiped and praised in a way that made him look absolutely silly. But he didn't care because he was showing his exuberance before God. And the people who were more happy about God being glorified were all with it. And the self-righteous stuck up people that were, uh, you know, more worried about image. <laughs> One of them being his wife started making comments. And was David worried about her comments? Her comments ceased her fruitfulness. David became even more fruitful later on down the road. Humility and vulnerability are a part of worship. Humility and vulnerability are huge when we go before our Father because we are essentially saying we trust you and we're not worried about our image. We're not worried about our standing. We're not worried about making it happen. All we're worried about is lifting you up and glorifying you. And then he says that it must be done in spirit and in truth. In short summary, if we want to be well-pleasing to God, we could read a whole bunch of scriptures about do this, do that, don't say this, don't say that, but essentially it breaks down into two parts, spirit and in truth. Number one, being in the spirit pleases God. Turn, if you will, to Romans 8. There's only two verses, and they can be up on the board, whichever one is easier. But in Romans 8, verses 6 through 8, um, this is, as somebody said earlier about getting kicked in or slapped in the teeth or whatever, that's a little violent, but this does, you know, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This uh, is unsettling. Romans 8, 6 through 8, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be, so that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me use another word for enmity. It is against. So this isn't even a sin. You can have a carnal mind and be a Christian. Paul is writing to the church in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, and says, I could not speak unto you as spiritual because you're still carnal. They were Christians, but they were still carnal. So you, you think, well, the sinners only have that problem. Carnal or flesh-minded Christians can also have this problem. Sometimes I wonder, and I might be telling off on some people, or I hope that I'm not doing this, but the reason that we walk around all nervous as a drug dealer in the church, as we're all upset that we have no peace, that we have no uh, comfort before God is because we're still thinking about the flesh having primacy in our life versus living in the spirit and putting the flesh in its place. Because I guarantee you, if you haven't been putting the flesh in its place and you've been letting your eye wander wherever it wants to go, and then you got to come to church, you don't feel right. <laughs> you know you say sanctified and full of the Holy Ghost, but at the, 
At the end of the day, you know full well you don't feel right walking into this church when you've been looking at Susie and Sally and Sarah and whoever else is down the road. Amen. So, <laughs> so we don't, you get uncomfortable with that because we've been living more focused on the comfort of the flesh than we have on living in the spirit and putting the flesh in its place. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is an admonition for us to live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, and put the flesh in its place. So just think about that. When I decide to have a carnal moment, and I've made a comment about two weeks ago that was very blue towards somebody in the church, and God said, was that a spiritually edifying word? Or was that a word out of your past carnality that you thought was cute? And you could go ahead and say this comment and that would build camaraderie. <laughs> and the person I said it to is in this church. They're in the building. They, they didn't even know that was going on. But you notice how when you cater to the flesh and you live in carnality, you don't feel right when you start getting closer to the Ark of the Covenant. You don't feel right when you start getting close to God's presence. There's a little bit of trepidation there. Again, Genesis 3, when Adam was in the flesh, what did he do when God showed up? Hide. What do most people do when they go ahead and indulge the flesh? They put their Bible away and don't want to spend time with God because they feel like the worst thing ever. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's a matter of ability. So let's look at, number one, we talk about carnal acts as sinful acts, but let's look at carnal acts as those things that we think we're stronger in the flesh than we are in the spirit. If Chris comes to me one day and, and he's upset, I'm picking on him so he can stay awake. Chris is upset with me and he's like, you know what? Your, your guitar is too loud. You take up too much space and, and you're just arrogant. You just think that you're the best player in the world. You get on my nerves. And he starts rearing up the flesh on the inside of me. And, 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 and uh, uh, John just read about not rendering evil for evil. But here I am wanting to go, I should turn the other cheek and be humble. But I know this right cross will still get the job done. You know, I may not be as uh, uh, young as I was once, but I'm as good as I was once or however the statement goes. I can put him down. That's me thinking carnally. That's me thinking that my fleshly strength still has some say in a spiritual walk. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. As a matter of fact, James, he turns around and says, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Tell that to most Republicans. I should shut up about that. Um, so anyway, <laughs> honestly, I'm going to say this and I'm going to leave it alone because we do get in our camps. But lately, Republicans are very angry and Democrats are very standoffish and entitled. Neither one of those reflect the very character of God and how we are to approach people. I'm not saying all Republicans and I'm not saying all Democrats. Just like 85% of them. Uh, <laughs> 83 .2. 
There's another part of carnality that often gets us in trouble. And that's when we think that our performance is what gets us brownie points before God. That's flesh-based thinking. That's the problem with the law. If I can be righteous on my own, then I'm good. But our righteousness is just filthy rags. And we're ignoring the gift of righteousness given to us by the Father through Jesus Christ, trying to replace it with our own righteousness. And God says, what is wrong with you? Spirit-based walking, talking, and living are what pleases God. But then let's go a step further. Because them that must worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Hebrews chapter 11, which is, this is a little lengthy, um, but we do need to do it. And the reason being is because faith is in the truth of what God said. Let every man be a lie. Let God be the truth. Even though you may tell me things that are factual and truth as you know them, I can't always take that as, you know what, this is 100% truth. You, you, Chris is a person who likes to be in courtrooms for all the right reasons. Um, how reliable is witness testimony? Why? Because people's perspectives are different. Their their memories are subject to error. Uh, no two testimonies of the same exact scene are the same, even though two people might have been shoulder to shoulder witnessing the same event. And they swear up and down they're telling the truth. Absolutely. So that means that their truth isn't absolute. Their truth is relative. In other words, you may be well-meaning in telling me the truth, but I guarantee you that there may be things that you missed, parts you didn't see, parts you didn't even know, or somehow in your own interpretation, you flavored it to be one way based on your bias. And that's just how we are. Some of us look at Kung Pao and go, it's the best movie ever. Some of us, some of us look at Kung Pao and go, what is wrong with you and what is wrong with these people? The truth is based on our own perception of it. But the truth of God's word is consistent whether we perceive it or not. It is the same. And so when we believe in the truth and worship him and in truth, it's according to his word, not according to our interpretation. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of what's coming. Not the thing coming is the substance. Your faith is the substance. I wish I could preach on that. For by, the elder, for by it the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and being though and through it he being dead still speaks. This is faith in God's truth. This is believing and acting and working according to God's truth. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, what? That he pleased God. 
that he pleased God. And then it leads into verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whereas the first is a matter of ability, this is a matter of trust. And we spoke about this last week a little bit. It's a matter of trust. Do we trust God's word or do we trust in other things to accomplish our solution? And it ends up that we seek to try and serve the truth of two masters. And in Mark, Mark Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, No one can serve, and I will put in worship, two masters. For he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And people say mammon is money. Mammon is what you have confidence in. Do you have confidence in your flesh, your ability, your talent, your playing, your speech, all of these different things, or do you have confidence in God? And he takes those things in your life and, and enhances them and use them, but you don't rest in your ability, you rest in his grace. We often run into a struggle of do we please God or do we please man? Do we please God and do the things which please him or do we please our boss? Do we please our significant others, our family members, all these other people because we think that they have an authority that supersedes God? Even one step further, do we please God or do we please ourselves? No one can serve or worship two masters. I, if I choose to worship me, I'm going to despise the word of God. If I choose to worship God, I'm going to despise the flesh and the very acts that are done in it. Think about that. You can't serve two masters. It doesn't work like that. You can't serve two truths. You only serve, worship one truth and one God, and we are not compatible on the same stage. That's not our place. There are three things in 1 Corinthians that it talks about, um, the, on top of the gifts and the charis, the, all these different things that go on as far as the power in the church, but it says there's three things that matter, faith, Love and hope. And the greatest of these is what? Love. And the reason being is because faith is in what God has said. Love is a now term. I'm not going to love you tomorrow. That's irrelevant. Love is a now action. Hope is the expectation of what's coming. The greatest of these is love. The reason why is because what are you doing now? In this moment. But this is the way that it works. First, you believe in the truth, faith. Because of faith, you have uh, acts of, or you have a work of faith and you have a labor of love. Because of love, you continue to go through it. You move because of faith, but you continue because of love. And you have a patience of hope, and when you expect, because of your faith and because of what you are doing, because of your faith, that God is going to reward your act. That is trusting him. Now what happens if you take a left turn at Albuquerque? Instead of faith, you doubt. You doubt what he says. You doubt the truth. And if you doubt the truth, now you have to have something to stand on, which means if you can't trust God in his word, something has to be there for your foundation like the shirt says, I reject your reality and insert my own. We often tend to do that with God if we go into doubt. And then from doubt, instead of love, you go into hate. 
Because now you have to devalue everybody around you in order to protect your truth and what you hold dear. And then from that hate, now your expectation is in hope that God will perform his word. You now go into fear that you don't have the ability to control every single outcome and something is out there to get you and you don't know what. So you board up all your windows. You put 10 inches of anti-tank armor around your car. You buy the biggest dogs you can and you get a shotgun. So I'm on probation. But I know a lot of people that have been on probation that have had weapons. <laughs> and, their, and their justification? You don't know what neighborhood I live in. In other words, fear dominates our life when we go down a road of doubt. And just think about it. When you doubt God's word and you have to now try and figure out, well, what is so-and-so doing? What's going on with this? You don't know. And you find that a lot, a lot of Christians that live in fear, ask them where their faith is. Or are they doubting God? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You need both. You need to be able to walk in the spirit and not trust the flesh, but you definitely need to be able to walk according to faith and not by sight. What are the benefits of pleasing God? Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as, a, as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The same Jesus that was approved in the first scripture we read, and now it calls him a sweet-smelling aroma. Let me break that down for a second. Because I've used this, and, and Blake has imitated me, um, because he has latched on to it, and he starts saying it. Let me break down the, the, the sweet-smelling savor. In Exodus 29, 18, it says, You shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This is not an offering for sin. This is a consecration offering that is in the place of somebody who obviously cannot be on the altar himself as a whole burnt offering because we're not meant to do that. So we put an animal in our place. And what that whole burnt offering is sac uh, 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 signifying is that, God, I am all yours. So here is a sacrifice of consecration that is fully given over to God and is released by fire, is burned and transformed by fire. And when that fire gets to go into anything, you're going to have what? Smoke. We call it the vapors. Not Bismarcky vapors, but, <laughs> but when Luis gets to cooking on that grill out there, you notice how everybody tends to gravitate out there. It's just, oh, this is pork. Oh, bacon. Oh. <laughs> it's that aroma coming off of that meat being transformed that becomes some place that you just want to hang around and get more of it in your nostrils. Well, when it says sweet aroma, or sweet, savory incense. The, the words are nehoach and reach. Nehoach is a, a place that is pleasant to rest upon. And reach is an order. Odor. A place to pleasantly rest upon that has a pleasant odor. I can't smell flowers. I've tried. I just, I absolutely, I just... That art is lost on me. 
But there are things that I can smell, and when they do smell wonderful, you just want to stop for a while. Like the world slows down. Everything just, it doesn't matter because you got, you got this moment of pleasantness that you're just, that's nice. I want to be here for a while. I just want to hang out here with the flowers that I can't smell, but imagine based on what everybody else is telling me that they should smell like. Or I want to hang around the barbecue grill because it just smells wonderful. Or I wanna just, you know, wash my clothes in that, whatever the, you know, still fresh, cause you, cause you just like the aroma, you like the smell. This is the same connotation for a sweet smelling sacrifice or a sweet, sweet smelling savor. This is something that God says, I like what's happening here. I'm just gonna hang out here. Nehoach, comes from the word noach, which means to rest. It's one of the forms of to rest. Noach is the same as Noah, who was in control of the place where all the animals rested until God was done with this process. That same Noah. So here is a place where God says, I like what's going on in his life. I like his sacrifice. I like what he's doing. I like his service. Sorry about spitting on you. I like his humility. <laughs> I'm going to rest here a while. This isn't God working up a, 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 a fire and a flame and, you know, what we usually think of as judgment and God's mad at us and he's judging us. This is God saying it's pleasant to be here. When it talks about God being well pleased in our life, is this a place where God is pleasant and pleased to be a part of and around because he likes the aroma that's coming off of our daily sacrifice as we walk in faith and as we live in the spirit. Romans 12, one and two, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what is good and perfect and acceptable will of God. I know we're running low on time, but I want to read this to you to show you why our thinking is different than God's thinking when it comes to this process. Jeremiah chapter 29. Because while you're turning there, God wants to hang out with you. He wants to be, he doesn't want to, you know, sit over your shoulder like I'm gonna I'm watching you I'm waiting till you mess up and then I got that bat I'm just gonna get you that's our impression of God but that's not the relationship that God desires with us you say well he chastens those he loves yeah but the chastening is to get you somewhere so Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10 and before you say this is Old Testament this is still the very character of God this is Israel Thinking it's not going to be as bad. We're not going to go to Babylon. We'll get out soon. Babylon means captivity. But in verse 10, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. 
Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. This is a moment of chastisement. This is a moment of roughness in the time of Israel and, and, and Judea because they messed up. They messed up. And so God says, you know what? It's time for you guys to go through a period of chastisement. But what God is looking at is not the moment of chastisement, but the end that he wants to get them to. So while they're focused on being in Babylon, he's looking past where they need to be into the place he has called them to be. His thoughts are not lingering on the chastisement. His thoughts are lingering on the blessing that the chastisement is getting them ready for. In other words, when you go through your moments of chastisement, your moments of suffering, your moments of dealing with God because God is working out something in your life and you think I'm not pleasing to God and he's saying you need to leave this alone, you need to leave this alone. He's not looking at that moment as that is the end all to be all. He's looking at where he's got for you to go and where he has placed you, where he has called you for. He's looking down that road and saying, I got to get them ready for this. So if we got to break all these things off, that you're thinking there because you're thinking in this moment, I'm thinking in this moment and I'm trying to get you ready for what I called you for. His thoughts are towards the good that he has planned for you, even if it means he has to chastise you in this moment to break off all the things in your life that would interfere. There's a difference between Hagar and Abraham. Hagar had a moment in the wilderness after being kicked out of Abraham's camp by Abraham's wife, and she throws the baby, Ishmael, she throws the baby off in the, in the, in the bushes, and she's like, oh, this is over, and I don't want to hear his crying. And God shows up. And so Hagar calls the name of God El Roy, which is my God sees. That's valid. Because God saw Hagar in her situation, or at least in her mind, that's all she thought was that God saw me in my situation. Fast forward a little bit to somebody else who's involved in the same family, Abraham. Abraham had a situation where he had to go on top of a mountain and possibly lose his son. And when God worked out everything in his life, what did he call God? Jehovah Jireh. Jireh also means to see, but it's also futuristic. In other words, you can uh, interpret Jehovah Jireh as the self-existent God who sees what I need afar off and makes provision for it. In other words, you can have a Hagar vision where you think God just sees me in the current conflict. Or you can have Abraham, the father of faith vision, that says, you know what I'm going through is no, nowhere compared to where I'm going to. And Jehovah Jireh has already seen where I'm going to. And he's already made preparations. <coughs> All I have to do is line up with what he said and walk into it. All I have to do is line up with what he said and walk into it. God is looking forward to your favor. We often look at our fallacy, at our problems, at our lack, at our current, 
God is looking forward to where he's taking you and saying all this stuff is just training you for where you need to go. I know I need to close. Kevin said, how many scriptures are we going to miss? A few. Let me tell you about one more person. There's a man, kid. Had 12 siblings and one sister. This kid is the youngest or the second youngest of the kids. You can come in here. And, and, and this kid has a dream. And he goes and he tells his brothers and his father and his remaining mothers what the dream was. That there are 12 sheaves and they're all going to bow down to me. Or 11 or however it's 12. Uh, the 12 and they're going to bow down to me. And they all go, what are we going to serve you? You dreamer. They get mad at him. They get upset with him. But God gave him a vision. They get upset with them. They throw them in a pit. Call them a, a tattletale. <laughs> Put them in a pit. Ship them off to Egypt. He's now away from his brothers. He's away from any ability to make that dream come true. But where God places him in his exile is still positions of favor and he quickly grows up in a house and becomes the second in command of that house until some woman tries to get him to lay with her and then lies on him. And so he goes up from second command in that house to the prison. In the prison, he continues to go forward following God the best that he can. He ends up becoming the second in command of the prison, an inmate becoming number two in the prison. God still works through him. He shows or he reveals what's going on in the dreams of two people. One has bad news. One has good news. He tells the one with good news, when you go before Pharaoh, remember me. He tells the one with bad news, it's been nice knowing you. And one is executed and one is restored to his position and forgets about this young man. This young man's name is Joseph. Eventually, Pharaoh has a dream. The man that he talked to says, you know, I know a guy. All of this is way away from his original dream. But yet he is called up now in front of Pharaoh, interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and because of his wisdom that God has poured in him, he becomes number two in Egypt. God has been positioning him in places and situations up and down the whole entire time with the mindset of the thought that he had towards Joseph that eventually he's going to be the one to help his brothers in their time of need and to help his father. Eventually his brothers come down and visit him, not knowing who he is, thinking he's dead. They just wrote him off and they didn't even want to go tell the truth to their dad. And in the end, all those other tribes end up bowing to Joseph like the father showed him. This wasn't a quick process. This was years in the making. Years in the making. If Joseph would have rushed it, he'd have completely missed what God was wanting to do. He didn't like the process, but while Joseph was dealing with each and every day, 
God says, I see the point I'm getting you to, and the road may not look like it's getting there, but I know the thoughts that I have towards you, those of peace, those of favor. And God was pleased in Joseph being able to help position Israel for their next chapter in life. What is it that we have been through? What is it that we're going through? Now we think that God is just ignoring us or that God is unhappy with us. But in all actuality, God says, I'm looking at you and I realize where I'm taking you. You think that I'm thinking about you right now. And this moment is nothing more than a setup for success. This moment is nothing but a buildup for your call. This moment is nothing but preparation for your purpose. In other words, look, say, who could be preaching here in this moment, but I have no idea where God is taking us in the next five years or in the next 10 years. You could be coming up here leading prayer, thinking that I'm just going to do a little part, and you have no idea where God is taking you. You could be going through a rough patch right now with your job, with your lifestyle, with all the things going on, with the various people around you, and you think that right now in this moment is just the worst thing ever. But when you start walking by faith and not by sight, when you start living in the spirit and not the flesh, and you start lining up and realize that God is pleased to dwell with you and he is taking you in places where he wants to show off his presence through you because he is pleased with you. And he wants to get you to a point where he can tell the very people around you, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You say, I don't know if God would do that. Let me read one last scripture. You don't have to turn there. But keep in mind, God is the one that starts this process. All we're doing is responding to it. Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't think God has a favorable outcome for each and every one of you? Well, I know where I came from. Yeah, you're more worried about where you came from instead of where God is taking you to. You're more worried about your past instead of your purpose. You're more worried about your reputation instead of well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to the glory and good pleasure of your father. In other words, what you have to do in order to please God has nothing to do with your ability. It has everything to do with your humility and vulnerability to walk according to the spirit and according to his truth. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, because when you line up with God and he is well pleased in you, the Bible says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he will make what? He will make his enemies to be at peace. He will make his enemies to be at peace and for some of y'all, the greatest enemy that you're facing is not somebody externally, it's internally. But when a man's ways please the Lord, he will make even you start to be at peace with yourself. Let's pray. Father, we have very little 
to no idea of where you are taking us. But we know in this moment, we want to walk pleasing you, trusting you, and worshiping you freely. We want to have you be pleased in us as you were pleased in Jesus. And we understand that we have to go through a process in order to get us there. So Father, we pray that as we go and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, because it is you that works in us, both the will and the do of your good pleasure. Help us, Lord, to surrender to your process, submit to your hand, and trust you, knowing that you're not only looking for our now, but you're looking for our to come. You're looking for where you have already placed us, as well as walking back with us to get us to that road. You're looking for children that you can be pleased in. And Father, help us to be those children that receive your blessing your favorite thought towards each and every one of us, to receive it, to hold on to it, and to relish in the fact that we are pleased, you're pleased with us because you choose to be. Help us to be positioned to where we need to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand? All you have to do and I say that even though that's not the easy thing, but all you have to do is submit and surrender. All you have to do is stop trusting your flesh and walk in the spirit. All you have to do is stop trusting the truth of what the world provides or what we have interpreted and trust the truth of God's word. I'm not saying the road is always pleasant. I'm not saying the road is always easy. But I know that if we walk with the one who is pleased with us, the only things that will come against us in that road will only make us stronger, but they will never separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Would you all lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, Amen. God bless you.